Hey friends, it is great to be back with you today for another episode of the In Focus podcast, taking a fresh look at the Bible and some big Christian ideas, how they bring our world into focus and empower us to live a new, more eternal kind of life within it. I'm your host, Justin Laughlin, husband, dad, pastor, adjunct professor, and most importantly, follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Today we come to the fifth and final episode in this series looking at women in the Bible, in church leadership, and in ministry. Before getting to it, it seems good at this point to recap the ground we've covered so far. First, this series is all about going to Scripture and submitting to what Scripture teaches us on this topic. It's not about tradition. It's not about contemporary culture. It's not about the logistics of living out whatever we find in Scripture on this matter. It's just about discerning as coherently and consistently as possible the picture the Bible paints for us about women, women in church, women in leadership, and women in ministry. Uh, So first, with episode one, um, we began with the clearest and most foundational passage, um, the origin story of humanity found in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Um, where gender hierarchy is without a doubt part of the curse, not a part of God's original design. Uh, Gender hierarchy stemmed from the fall, as does sin and rebellion and all of their forms and manifestations. Uh, We saw that any deviation from God's design, that is by definition sin or missing the mark, as many of us have heard through the years. And uh, however historical or acceptable it might seem to us to codify gender hierarchy in the church is to define our orthodoxy and orthopraxy by what the Bible describes as fallen, sinful, cursed thinking and behavior, which of course we don't want to do. Uh, Then in episode two, um, this was an attempt to bring the practical issues at stake into focus from Jesus's perspective. Uh, Regarding women in the church and leadership and in ministry, uh, the two underlying issues at hand really are first, who gets what titles in the church? Is it just the men that get to be titled and recognized as pastor or elder primarily? Um, Or do women also get to share in the titles and the recognition? And then the second issue at hand is who gets to exercise power and authority over others. Is it just men that get to exercise authority and power over others in the church? Or how and when should women also be sanctioned to exercise power and authority in the church? And most importantly regarding women, over whom? Over other women only, over children, or Um, with equal access over other men. Um, Instead of answering these questions in episode two, though, uh, we looked to Jesus's teaching that explicitly forbade both the use of titles as well as the pursuit and exercising of power and authority by his followers. Having been forbidden from these matters by Jesus himself, It's my conclusion, at least, that it's no wonder we have gotten ourselves into such a swampy mess as we have intently and sometimes even self-righteously reinstituted and formulated the very things which Jesus did away with, namely titles and positional power. 
episode three. Uh, in episode three, we focused on Paul's teaching and practice in the New Testament. And um, for just a second, let's recap the highlights of what we observed regarding Paul. Uh, Paul acknowledged, advocated, and selected women to lead and teach in the early church in various capacities. A few examples of this include Junia the Apostle, Philip's daughters the prophets, Phoebe the deacon and teacher and preacher to the church of Rome, uh, Priscilla the church planter, pastor and teacher along with her husband Aquila. Um, Second, Paul's specific teaching on hierarchy was that it belonged to the old fallen order of the curse and the law, but was done away with in Christ. And that was regarding not only gender, but also ethnicity, economics, and position. That's found in Galatians 3. Uh, Paul also gave specific attention um, and Paul, we gave, excuse me, we gave specific attention to Paul's letter to Timothy, um, knowing that Timothy was facing a very challenging situation and appointing leadership and simultaneously dealing with an unruly group of women. Uh, Paul, uh, excuse me, Timothy, we know, was a young, sickly, easily disregarded pastoral protege that Paul left behind. Um, and we know that Paul loved Timothy as his own son. We know that Paul had a history of very strong response when people worked to undo uh, the work of Jesus Christ in his ministry and in his church plants. Uh, for example, to the group who followed him into a Galatia, Galatia insisting on circumcision, he wrote to them, they should go ahead and cut it all off. Um, so, when Paul speaks strongly against women that are coming against his beloved son and protege, we probably shouldn't be surprised that he comes off quite strongly against them in his letter to Timothy. With all of this in mind, Paul's words to Timothy are then directed to a specific group of problematic women who are refusing to submit to anyone's teaching or leadership, who refuse to learn, who are not of good character, whose commitments to Jesus and to the church have been compromised, and who are now bringing disrepute upon the church, even in the surrounding community. So, that's who Paul is addressing in his letter to Timothy, which is, of course, worth noting. And to any such people, Paul says, with no ambivalence, they shall not teach, they shall not have authority, and they shall be quiet. Um, because whether men or women, who wants to hear from people of such character and behavior? Um, episode four, uh, our last episode, we took a look at the household codes. And to make a long story short, whatever argument a person might make for gender hierarchy based on the household codes, they must be equally ready to make in um, support of slavery. Just as many patriarchal slave owners did throughout church history, much to the shame and dismay of the church, um, but with a bit of thoughtfulness, it was not hard to see regarding the household household codes that the actual matter at hand, um, rather than advocating for social revolution, focused on Christ-likeness regardless of circumstances. So, as we read through those in various letters, if you find yourself a husband or a wife in a patriarchal patriarchal culture, just be like Jesus and bring glory to Jesus. If you find yourself a slave or a master of slaves in in, um, slave-affirming 
culture, then act like Jesus and bring glory to Jesus. Basically, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, however good or however bad, be like Jesus and bring glory to Jesus. That was the focus of the New Testament authors from beginning to end. And finally, today we come to the final thoughts on the work of the Holy Spirit in the church through leadership and gifting. So, let's begin with a quick look at Ephesians 4, which probably best addresses the sometimes sticky topic of whether or not women can be pastors. So, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Uh, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fulfill all things. And uh, now we get back to the good stuff at hand. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, some observations. Number one, grace was given to each one of us. Again, um, to the matter at hand, not just to the men. Uh, number two, the gifts in this case are the people themselves whom God has graced so that the whole body can be equipped for ministry. Uh, number three, regarding the gifts um, spe uh, specifically named in this instance, uh, Paul refers to Junia as an apostle. There are many examples of women who are prophets. Uh, the first apostles and evangelists, literally the sent ones um, going to proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection, were women. Um, this is affirmed in Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Luke 24. Uh, at least Priscilla and Phoebe were sent to teach in the church. Uh, as for pastors, no women are specifically named pastors, but neither are any men. Uh, that is not to say there isn't evidence of both women and men serving in the New Testament church in pastoral capacities. There are just no people that are named pastor. So, uh, women are recognized explicitly as both apostles and prophets. They are recognized explicitly with the ministries of evangelists and teachers. And while neither men nor women are referred to as pastors in the New Testament, they both serve in such capacities. Number four, for any and all of these gifts to the church, whether men or women, it is worth noting that the true mark of such people is not in their celebrity, their platform, or their charisma, but their service to the church in equipping all people for ministry. That last point is a freebie, probably worth a series all of its own, um, but something that I couldn't resist throwing in in this case. 
Okay, so what else does the New Testament have to say about the giftings and anointings to serve in the church? Romans 12 is another very famous passage about our complementary functions in the body of Christ. As with Ephesians 4, none of these gifts are distinguished by gender. They include prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leading, and mercy. Um, It is probably worth noting that several of these are vocal gifts in case anyone is still grasping at the idea that women aren't supposed to speak in the church. And I certainly hope that we have done away with that by this point. Um, Again, regarding what the New Testament has to say about giftings and anointings to serve and lead the church, another passage of note is 1 Corinthians 12. Once again, the passage is about the body of Christ as a whole and in no place makes a reference to gender distinction. All of the gifts of the Spirit include, in this passage, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discernment, faith, healing, miracles, speaking in other tongues, and the interpretation of what is spoken in other tongues. And then finally, near the end of the passage, Paul returns and repeats himself with a second list, including apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healing, helping, administrating, and tongues. With all of these passages in mind, having worked through the content covered in the first four episodes of this series, it's no surprise that women are not excluded from any gifting in the body of Christ, nor any leadership office in the New Testament church. Uh, Before concluding this series, a final word now about elders. Uh, Let's turn to Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3, as an archetypal text regarding the appointment of elders. First, if you haven't yet, please return to episode 3 of this series. Um, There are several important dynamics regarding the context of Timothy at large that will make you a more discerning reader. Uh, But as to the text itself, as we continue on, the nagging question is whether or not Paul is using male language inclusively or exclusively. And fortunately, it's easy to identify with this question still in our own context today. For example, if you hear someone use the word mankind today, typically we understand that word to be a reference to all human beings rather than men only, despite the fact that the word literally is mankind. Uh, This same ambiguity is found in the New Testament, which also used a standard of masculine language, even in reference to both men and women. And for many of us, in fact, if you look at many of the references to brothers or brotherhood in the New Testament, um, sometimes within the text itself, it will say brothers and sisters and many Um, For many other translations, you will find a footnote that says um, Paul is talking inclusively here about brothers and sisters. So, in any case, that's just the case. That's the situation at hand. Um, So, in Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3, Paul is certainly using masculine language and speaking from a masculine vantage point regarding elders and deacons and their spouses. And what Paul says about elders and their wives in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, he repeats almost verbatim regarding deacons and their wives in verses 8 through 13. The only problem, not the only problem, a significant problem with interpreting Paul's use of masculine language to be exclusive 
meaning that he actually means that only men can be elders, is that Paul recognizes Phoebe as a New Testament deacon in Romans 16, and she was even chosen by Paul from among all the people of the church to go to the churches at Rome to read, to commentate, and to expound on this extremely dense, dense and theologically rich letter to the Romans. Knowing this to be the case, that Paul recognizes and, and affirms women as deacons, uh, we know that Paul intended his masculine language regarding deacons to be exemplary rather than exclusive. So, when Paul describes a deacon, he exemplifies and expounds on um, deacons in masculine terms, Again, while simultaneously recognizing that Phoebe, a woman, fulfills that exemplary character, calling, and capacity as and is, in fact, a deacon in the church. Now, regarding elders, uh, we don't have such a clear-cut example, which I suppose is a bit unfortunate, but we know that Paul uses the exact same description and pattern. And it's within one passage on both elders and deacons, and this is found in other places as well, the same pattern and the same pairing. Therefore, the only really honest and consistent conclusion must be that Paul is describing elders using masculine language and from a masculine perspective, but in an exemplary rather than an exclusive manner exactly the same that he does for deacons. So, uh, once again, the exemplary character and life are in view for Paul regarding elders, which incidentally is far too often disregarded. Instead, uh, the celebrity pastor prefers his uh, troop of yes-men, but that's not the issue at hand right now. In any case, gender is not what Paul is primarily focusing on. It's character and life. Um, This conclusion, of course, is consistent with Paul's practice. It's consistent with Paul's teaching on hierarchy uh, that we referenced before in Galatians 3. It's consistent with God's original design and the breaking of the hierarchical curse that plagued men and women from the garden to the cross. And there you have it, five-part series on women in the Bible, women in the church, and women in ministry. I hope that this has been insightful and enjoyable as we've journeyed through some pivotal texts on the topic. I'd love to hear from you any feedback or pushback you might have on these topics. And I look, uh, I'm already looking ahead and looking forward to next week. Uh, excited to dive into a new series on either eschatology or perhaps political and cultural engagement, both of which are coming soon one way or another, and both of which I'm very excited to work through together. Thanks for listening to this episode and this series. I hope that it has helped you bring your world into a little better focus and empowered you to live a more eternal kind of life within it. If you're streaming today's episode from a podcast provider like Apple, Google, Spotify, or anybody else, it'd be great if you take a second to give the show a good rating or review, perhaps even become a subscriber. Uh, The show is new and still quite small, so your response 
helps it make it a little easier to find for new listeners in the future. If you'd like, you can also share this episode directly with your friends on social media. A link is provided in the notes to do just that. If you'd like to hear about anything specific from the Bible or a particular big Christian idea in the future, please email me using the address that's also included in the show notes. And until next time, as we kick off a new series on either eschatology or political and cultural engagement, thanks again for being a friend of the show and for tuning in to In Focus. May your world continue coming into clearer focus and may God lead you in, into an increasingly eternal kind of life before him. 